The sermon from St. John's Evangelical Lutheran Church of Hancock, Minnesota, a member of the Wells, preached on August 7, 2011, based on the Gospel according to St. Luke. Please remain seated. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, fellow saints, washed clean in the blood of our risen Savior. When the glory of the Lord appeared to the prophet Ezekiel, in that vision he saw four angelic cherubim, each with four faces, the face of a man, of a lion, of an ox, and of an eagle. During the Middle Ages, the church adopted these four images as a way to symbolize the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as we've been looking at over the past weeks, as we put up the new banners over the organ there. Even though there are four books, we have seen that each one proclaims one and the same gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, God's Son, our only Savior from sin and death. And all four books have one and the same purpose as well, namely to kindle faith in your heart, and to fan it into a roaring fire so that you believe and are saved. A faith which humbly repents, which rejoices in God's forgiveness, which, a faith which firmly lays hold of eternal life with sure hope, and which produces the fruit of faith, uh, works of kindness and service to our neighbor, and love that prays even for our enemies. These four books are Unique. Although all that they contain is factual history, they are not history books. Although they tell us about the events of Jesus' life, they are not his biography. And although they are full of doctrine, they are not theological textbooks. So, what are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? They are the good news of Jesus Christ, our Savior. They bring you your Savior so that you believe and are saved. Now, to preserve this good news for us and all ages, the Holy Spirit had these men, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, write down the account of Jesus' life, write down this gospel. And he used each of these men according to their unique gifts, abilities, circumstances, backgrounds, and life experiences. So, although... All of these books proclaim one and the same gospel, and all of them were inspired by the Holy Spirit and therefore are without contradiction and completely true. Yet each one has its unique style. Over the past two weeks, we have looked at Matthew and Mark as we focused on the image of the man and the image of the lion to see the character of those two books. Now we take a look today at Luke and the image of the ox. First of all, who is this Luke? He is not one of the twelve disciples that we meet in the Gospels. In fact, we only meet Luke indirectly as we read through the book of Acts, which Luke also wrote. In Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul is on his second missionary journey. He has traveled through what we would call Turkey and now has come to the western shore, 
to the city of Troas, across from Macedonia, which we would call northern Greece. There, he and his he, he receives a, a vision during the night of a Macedonian man begging for him to come and help. And then as we're reading through Acts, we see that instead of saying that Paul and his companions left for Macedonia, it says that we got ready at once and left. Notice how it changes from the third person to the first person. For there we meet Luke for the first time as he subtly shows that he has joined the company of Paul. As we learn a little bit more about Luke, it it seems that he wasn't even a Jew. He was one of the Gentiles who was converted to Christianity. In Colossians, we learn that Luke is a doctor by profession. But now in Acts, we see that he joins Paul on his missionary journey, his second missionary journey, and, and travels with him to the Macedonian city of Philippi. That's where Paul drives out a demon from a girl and is placed into prison and shares the gospel with the jailer that night. When Paul has to leave Philippi, Luke stays behind. But once again, on Paul's third missionary journey, when he returns to Philippi, we again see that now instead of they, Acts says we went on to the next place. And from there on to the end of Acts, Luke is often in the company of Paul. In fact, at the end of Paul's life, as he is sitting in prison, awaiting his execution in Rome, he writes his last epistle, 2 Timothy, and says, only Luke is with me. And so we see that just as last week we saw that Mark was closely associated with the apostle Peter, so Luke is closely connected with the apostle Paul. And as we think about the character of Paul's ministry, that helps us also see the unique character of Luke. Remember how the Apostle Paul was not one of the original twelve disciples at all. In fact, he was just the opposite, wasn't he? After Jesus' ascension, he led the persecution against the Christians in Jerusalem and even got permission to go up to Damascus and hunt down the Christians there. But as you well know, on his way to Damascus, the risen Jesus appeared to him and called him to repentance. And after that, the risen Jesus not only appeared to Paul, but also taught Paul the gospel so that he received it directly from Jesus in his glory, just as the other apostles had received it from Jesus during his earthly ministry. Maybe the best way for us to catch the character of Paul's ministry is to listen to how Paul himself describes his apostleship in 1 Timothy. There he writes, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason I was shown mercy, 
so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. And that, dear friends, is the same character that we see in Luke's Gospel. That character that even the worst of sinners, even the most lost and lowly, are the ones for whom Jesus came. Yes, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and lowly. That could be a way to summarize the gospel according to St. Luke. But how does the image of the ox help us think about that? Well, consider the ox compared to the other ones, compared to the lion, the eagle, and man. The ox is the lowliest of those four, isn't it? It's only a beast of burden, pulling the plow, working the ground. The words and works of Jesus that Luke records for us bring out again and again how Jesus came for the lowly. He came to seek and to save the lost. For example, only Luke records these words of Jesus when he said, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. But that's in Luke 19, and we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. For you see, from the very beginning, Luke puts our focus on the lowly, on how Jesus came, not for the, the, those who were proud and thought themselves worthy of God, but for the lowly and the lost. For example, in Luke chapter 1, instead of focusing on Joseph, the head of the family, as Matthew did, Luke draws our attention to Mary, that young virgin who more than likely was just a teenage girl, an insignificant member of Jewish society. But Luke tells us how the angel Gabriel appeared to her and told her that she would be the mother of the Son of the Most High. And then Mary, as she praises God for this, also talks about how the Lord works here when she says that the Lord topples the mighty from their throne, but exalts the lowly. And then we see how Jesus himself came in all lowliness. He was born and laid in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And the angels didn't minister to the baby Jesus. They went out to the lowly shepherds who were keeping watch over their flock by night and announced to them the glad tidings of great joy. And when Jesus was 40 days old and brought to the temple, it wasn't the high priest or the Sanhedrin that greeted the baby Jesus, but a man named Simeon and an old lady named Anna. Yes, Jesus came to seek and to save the lowly, and the lost. Just read Luke chapter 2, and it's all there right from the beginning. And so also as Luke continues, and several of the parables and events of Jesus' ministry that we find only recorded by Luke, bring out this point as well. For Luke often puts our focus on the Samaritan and the tax collector who were considered the outcast, the lowliest of, of Jewish society. Tells us Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan to illustrate who our neighbor is. And 
as Luke tells us about the ten lepers who are healed, he makes that point that the only one that returned to give thanks was a Samaritan. Also, Luke is the only one of the Gospels to record the parable of the, tax, uh, of the, uh, of the Pharisee who prayed about himself and the lowly tax collector who simply pleaded, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus made it clear it was the tax collector that went home justified that day. And then in Luke 19, only Luke tells us about Zacchaeus, that tax collector. And that is where Jesus spoke those words, at the house of Zacchaeus, when he said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Do you see how again and again Luke brings out the theme? Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and lowly. Yes, even those as lowly as an ox. Maybe the chapter where this comes out the most clearly is Luke chapter 15. We could even call this the chapter of the lost. For Jesus tells us three parables. Parables that you know well here. First of all, a shepherd leaves 99 of his sheep and searches for the lost one until he finds it, and then he puts it on his shoulders and brings it home. You, dear friend, are that sheep that Jesus has found. A woman has lost one of her ten silver coins, and she lights a lamp, sweeps the house, and searches for it diligently until she finds it and then rejoices with her neighbors. And Jesus says there, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Yes, the angels rejoiced over your repentance. And then Jesus tells the parable of the lost or the prodigal son who took his father's inheritance and wasted it in extravagant living. But then he turned home with a humbled and penitent heart. In the same way, the heavenly father welcomes you with open arms and dresses you in the best robe and slaughters the fattened calf. For just as this father explained to the older son, we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Yes, dear friends, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and lowly came to seek and to save you and me. And in this way, Luke brings out that theme again and again. And yet Luke also makes it clear that it's not as if the lowly have some sort of special virtue. It's not as if their low position or their poorness attracts God's favor or, 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 or salvation or makes God loving towards them. That's just the opposite of what this is all meant to bring home to us. For you see, Luke makes it clear that God's grace reaches out to those who do not deserve it. That is why the emphasis is on the Samaritan and the tax collector, for it's obvious that there could be nothing in their lives to attract God's favor or love. But what great grace that seeks and saves even the most undeserving. If you think about it, that's the same theme that Paul brought out in his ministry, wasn't it? 
If God would save even someone like him, the chief of sinners, the worst of sinners who persecuted the church, how great God's grace must be. And so also, that God would save someone like Zacchaeus or someone like you and me, how great his grace, how great his love that we in no way deserve, his love that seeks and saves the lost and lowly, including you and me. And such grace, dear friends, calls forth faith from our hearts, faith that turns away from sin and clings to God's promise of forgiveness alone. Jesus brings out also how this faith produces fruit in our lives. It produces that fruit that that serves our neighbor and loves God above all, just as it changed Zacchaeus when Jesus told him to come down from that tree because he was staying at his house that day. So also, This good news that Jesus seeks and saves the lost changes you and me. Changes us to serve God and our neighbor. That's the fruit faith produces. Jesus makes this very clear, for example, in Luke 13, when he says, unless you repent, you too will perish. And then he tells the parable of the fig tree. For three years it has not produced fruit, and the owner says to cut it down. But the caretaker asks for one more year, one more year to work the soil and fertilize it. And then if it doesn't produce fruit, cut it down. And so we see how great God's patience and grace is that he works with that, even that unfruitful tree, for one more year. And yet we also see that his patience is not to be trifled with, and his grace is not to be abused. Rather, his promise is for us to cling to in faith, for us to believe. For you see, faith takes God at his word and therefore lives for our God and Savior, trusting that his word will take care of us. We see that from the very beginning of of Luke's Gospel, when he contrasts Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist, with Mary. Remember how when the angel Gabriel told Zechariah that he and his wife would have a son in his old age, he didn't believe it. Even though he was a faithful person, a faithful believer, this was too much for him. He doubted. That's not faith. But then we see Mary, who believed that the Lord could do the impossible, that even she, a virgin, would be the mother of the Son of the Most High, because... She took God at his word. And that is what faith does. That is why faith produces fruit. Because it takes God at his word. And believes that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and the lowly. Yes, Jesus came for you. He came to seek and to save you. No matter how lost and lowly you may feel at times. Believe that Jesus came for you. He came to save you. And how did he do that? Well, just like Matthew, Mark, and John, Luke also leads us to the cross. And there we see Jesus sacrificing himself in our place. Just as an ox in the Old Testament was at times used as a sacrifice, so also Jesus sacrificed himself to pay for all of our sins. 
And yet even as he hung there on the cross, bearing the sins of the world and suffering God's anger and punishment in our place, even there he was seeking and saving the lost and the lowly. Only Luke tells us how how Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Only Luke records how Jesus spoke to that repentant thief and told him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. To the very end, Jesus sought the lost and the lowly to save them. And he accomplished that mission, didn't he? For Luke also records his triumphant, victorious resurrection from the dead. In Luke 24, he tells us in detail how the risen Jesus spoke with those two disciples on the way to Emmaus and explained how all that had happened was exactly as God had told that it would happen in the, in the scriptures. And then finally, Jesus sums it all up for his disciples and for us as he speaks to them later before his ascension and tells them this. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, just as it is written, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That is how the good news of Jesus Christ has come down to you and to me today. For Jesus came to seek and to save the lost and lowly. Amen. Please stand. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.